Rainbows high and deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin! And this game is underway with a bang! This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Well, it's 2020, which I don't think I need to remind you. Don't think I need to explain to you how just miserably, terribly awful this year has been, right? It's the year of a pandemic. The pandy, as I like to sometimes lightheartedly call it, although that seems a little bit insensitive given what's going on in our state right now. So for the time being, it is the pandemic. I'm not going to call it the pandy. We've had bad race relations, a really polarizing election. It, It sucks. And even on sports radio. And sports radio is like the most fun thing in the entire world. I love sports radio. It's a blast. We sometimes have to tackle the tough issues of the day as well. Got to talk about the news, right? Especially before we get to the fun stuff. Got to eat our veggies before we can eat dessert. The big news of the day today, the NFL has a little bit of a COVID issue, which isn't all that shocking. Very similar to in baseball. If you're not in a bubble, it's going to become a problem. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And the when was, well, about through week four. The NFL, give them credit, made it longer than Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball made it through their first weekend. The Marlins story broke, I think, Monday morning after the season started on Thursday and Friday. The NFL made it a month, so they can pat themselves on the back for that, unlike Major League Baseball. We'll start with the news before we get into the fun topics. We're going to talk Badgers, Brewers, a whole lot coming up in the next hour. You're going to want to be here. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills, and I am glad you've tuned in. I'm glad you're hanging out. And if you are tuning in on our fine affiliate in Madison, The Zone, Welcome to the show. We have a lot of fun here. We like to be sarcastic. We like to complain. We don't like to take anything too seriously except for serious news like the news we're about to discuss. But I'm glad you're checking out the show, even if it's just for a couple of minutes on your drive home. Uh, I'm glad that if you're living in Madison, you're checking it out. We're actually going to talk Badger football for the first time on this show in like a month. We're going to talk about Badger football coming up next, and I'm very excited about that. Little chatter about the quarterback conversation. So we'll get to that. We'll also talk about the Brewers. Speaking of complaining, we'll have a discussion about their payroll, and we'll have a little bit of positive news coming up before 6 o'clock. But before we do all of that, we got to talk about the big news of the day, and if you want to join me, you can, 608-796-2558. Shoot me a text or shoot me a tweet, at Wisco Grant on Twitter. You can follow me there. So even when I'm not on the air, we can still bellyache and complain and go back and forth about things that don't matter because that's what Twitter is for. So follow me there, at Wisco Grant. Before we get into the fun stuff, let's do some housekeeping. Uh, The NFL, like I said, was always going to run into this problem. This was not an issue of if. This was always an issue of when. Same thing in Major League Baseball. If you're not going into a bubble, this problem is going to come up at some point. And this NFL season has been a blast. Like, they have done a good job up until this point. The games have been awesome. The stories have been awesome. We already have a coach fired, and somehow it's not Adam Gase, which blows my mind. We've already had a coach fired. We've had a quarterback change in Chicago. We have another one in Washington. Like, this season has been awesome. And, yeah, Of course, it helps the Packers are 4-0, and they whooped up on the Falcons on Monday night to go into the bye on a high note. What a bummer that would have been if the the Packers lose on Monday night and they end up going into the bye on a sour note after starting 3-0. No, 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 no. We're not having a rehash, a week four upset like we had in 2019. Matt LaFleur in year two, Aaron Rodgers in year two, going into the bye on a high note and carrying that momentum into their two-week stretch where, yeah, they're on a break, but they have to stay in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers said in his press, he's like, yeah, it sucks sucks that we have to be here. Hopefully they can use it productively. Hopefully they stay safe because Brown County isn't exactly the place to be right now if you're trying to avoid COVID. This season has been awesome so far, but this was always going to happen. This problem was always going to come up. 
and it's on the NFL to respond the way that Major League Baseball did, respond swiftly, decisively, and be able to adapt, react, and overcome as the circumstances change. What I don't love about what I've seen in the last couple of days is the NFL seems to be improvising a little bit. They seem to be flying by the seat of their pants, which, okay, you need a little bit of that because this is a pandemic and it's something we've never experienced before, at least through the lens of professional sports. It's never something that uh, Roger Goodell's had to deal with. So there needs to be a certain aspect of improvisation, but you also need to seem like you have a plan. And I don't know if the NFL does. Now, they'll extend the season as long as they need to. Week 18, week 19, they'll do 25 weeks of this if they have to to make sure they get all these games played and they, and they get into the postseason. But I, I don't know if they have a rock-solid plan right now. The news of the day, the Titans are up to 22 positive tests. This saga started back on September 24th. Very similar to the Marlins and the Cardinals in the way that it was just a positive test or two at the beginning, but slowly grew as the days passed. More cases came up, another positive, another positive. Today, not just the Titans, but the Patriots' Stephon Gilmore test positive. I think that might have been yesterday, actually. And then Cam Newton and a practice squad player have also tested positive. The practice squad player's name is Bill Murray, which I know this is no laughing matter, but that is an awesome name. And finally, the Raiders have a defensive tackle that's tested positive, placed on the COVID list today. So that's the news, and I don't want to dwell on it, and I don't want to be doom and gloom, and I, and I certainly don't want to spoil sports radio and take away what I'm sure most of you use as an escape to talk about the pandemic that's thrashing our state right now. So that's the news. Let's not dwell on it, but let's talk about maybe what the rest of the NFL season looks like. A positive, something good to talk about. The Chiefs have yet to have a positive test, which is great news. And it's great news that comes just, to, what, two weeks after the Titans and the Vikings faced a very similar situation, right? The Titans test positive after the game was played. Vikings fans were like, oh boy. Hopefully no Vikings caught it. Hopefully it didn't make the leap during the game. And then it played out over the next week and no Vikings came down with it, which is awesome. And it bodes really well that even if a positive test is able to slip through the cracks and somebody with COVID, albeit symptomatic in the case of Stefan DeGilmore on Monday night, even if a positive test is able to squeak through, the chances of that positive test jumping from one team to another over the course of a 60-minute football game, rather low, especially outside, right? Or in a huge cavernous place like U.S. Bank Stadium or the Superdome or, or whatever. Pick a, pick a huge inside stadium in the NFL. That bodes really, really well. Now, I think the NFL is going to pivot, and I, I think at some point they're going to tell teams, look, you can't shake hands after games. Can't swap jerseys, can't hug, can't take pictures and, and have you know big uh, photo ops. Like, no, 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 we're not doing it. It's too risky, especially after that picture was circulating today of Patrick Mahomes dapping up Stephon Gilmore, right? Cheek to cheek, face to face as they give each other a little hug. It's like, ooh, that's the biggest star in the NFL. Other than, of course, Josh Allen, who is, you know, just setting the NFL world ablaze right now. No, Patrick Mahomes is the star of the NFL right now. The reigning Super Bowl MVP, the one-time MVP a year ago before he got hurt in his first year as a starter. Protect him at all costs. And the NFL is probably going to make a change after that picture today circulates of Stephon Gilmore and Patrick Mahomes Dapping it up after the game, and then Stephon Gilmore in the next 24, 48 hours ends up testing positive, right? That's probably a change they're going to end up making. Since Monday night, the Chiefs have no positive tests, right? And I refreshed it at the beginning of the show. I don't need to check right now. Um, I think I would have seen it over the last commercial break when I was cruising Twitter a little bit. Like, this, this is awesome news that the Chiefs can go along, go about their business, and even if a couple Patriots test positive, the rate of transmission during a football game even though it's a physical sport, even though they're running around with each other, it seems rather low. When the time of exposure is brief in little short stints, play-to-play, and the game is played outside. That's a positive development. That's good news. 
And it's a rehash of what happened with the Titans and the Vikes two weeks ago, right? The Vikings came away scot-free after the Titans test positive. Now, these outbreaks are forcing the NFL to impose some stricter guidelines. Tom Pelissero did a pretty good job reporting today um, that the NFL put out a memo and passed along all of these new bullet points or doubled down on bullet points that they had already sent out, right? Um, Surveillance video of facilities, that's a huge selling point. That's actually the first thing that was mentioned in this memo that the NFL sent out. Uh, it was actually last night, 20 hours ago now. That was when it was reported. Yeah, each NFL team is going to be required to keep surveillance video of their entire facility, their meeting rooms, their practice fields, their strength and conditioning center, like their weight rooms. Need to have everything on video because the NFL needs to check in and make sure that protocols are being followed. And if not, teams get punished. So surveillance video of facilities, a big selling point right now and a big bullet point as part of the NFL's reaction to all these positive tests. Want to make sure everybody stays spaced out. Not too many people are in each room, a meeting room here or a weight room here. Stay spaced. Follow the guidelines. It's not just six feet, right? Like, that's not the magical number. Ideally, you'd even be farther apart than that. The NFL wants to double down and make sure teams are following that guideline. Scheduling. Scheduling was a big selling point in this memo, the new protocol, saying, hey, you need to set up your practice and your day-to-day operations and your travel in a way that, Keeps one group away from the other. Keeps the cornerbacks away from, I don't know, the running backs and the linebackers away from the quarterbacks and on and on and on, right? Now, naturally, at some point during practice, these groups are going to bump into each other. But throughout the rest of the day, when teams are on break, when they're eating, when they're in a meeting, when they're game planning, when they're watching film, when they're in the ice bath, right? These are things you can schedule and regiment, I'm sure, as you have done at your place of work as well. We've done that here at at the building where I broadcast in lacrosse. Right, Nobody comes into my studio when I'm in there. I show up as our morning show guy is leaving, and he doesn't come back until the morning when I'm long gone. Same in our music studios, same in our meeting rooms, same in our offices, right? And same in our bathrooms as well, which has been amazing. If somebody's in the bathroom, nobody else goes in, which you could probably stay spaced in the bathroom, but it's, it's like having your own private bathroom. Chalk that up as one positive to come out of the pandemic. If somebody's in the bathroom, we'll wait. Let them finish their business, right? They can listen to some music in there. Have a nice little break during the day. Like, that's one positive that's come out of COVID. And I'm sure in your workplace, you have scheduled and regimented things just as the NFL is asking their franchises to do in this new memo. Once again, Ian Rappaport and Tom Pelissero reported this last night about 20 hours ago. Travel guidelines, doubling down on mask guidelines, gatherings. This is a big one. Teams cannot have gatherings outside of organized team activities. This was a big issue with the Raiders in the last two weeks. The Raiders, Darren Waller, their tight end, who is the the star on Hard Knocks, and he's been a tremendous productive tight end for them this year. He held a charity event dinner, which is amazing. Raise money. I don't know what the charity was for off the top of my head. Awesome. I think it was something related to kids, but that's most charities, I think. So, like, maybe that's just what's in my brain. And a bunch of the Raiders went. Derek Carr went. Darren Waller, obviously, some other receivers and, and position groups, right? I'm assuming they're all friends or at least close work colleagues, right? You don't need to be best friends to go hit the bar with a coworker. Oh, it's closing up shot. It's 5 o'clock. You want to go get a beer? Right. You don't need to be best friends. I'm assuming NFL teams are the same way. Darren Waller held this charity event, and a bunch of players showed up. And then pictures were leaked that nobody's wearing masks. Nobody's socially distanced, right? That's the kind of thing that the NFL is going to come down hard on teams for. And look, Mike, Mike Florio of NBC Sports and a pro football talk reported earlier this afternoon, and this is the quote from the report, There's buzz in league circles of possible, quote, historic punishment for the Titans given the various violations. If you didn't see today, it looks like the Titans gathered for a a practice that they weren't supposed to have in the last couple of days. Now, I'm not saying that led to all of these new positive tests, but it certainly doesn't help. 
right? Gathering away from the facility certainly doesn't help the cause, certainly doesn't calm down COVID as an issue. We talked about this last week, possible forfeiture of games or historic punishments, right? Forfeiting shouldn't be a certainty. If a team has an outbreak and they can't play a game as it's scheduled, forfeiting shouldn't be a certainty. But it it definitely needs to be a possibility. It needs to be on the table, right? It, It needs to be a weapon that the NFL can wield because, look, this is possible to do through strict guidelines, testing, tracing, and discipline. It is possible to play football in 2020. Major League Baseball figured it out. The NFL can figure it out too, but not if everyone isn't on board. Not if the Raiders are having off-field gatherings, right? Not if the Titans are breaking protocol, or in the case of the St. Louis Cardinals, reportedly went to a casino. That's the kind of thing that will bring a season to an end, or to a pause, or to an abrupt halt, as we've seen in the case of a couple of teams here. In the NFL, it's not like you can just attack these games on. We'll play a doubleheader or play on back-to-back days. No, it's not how football works. Forfeiting games shouldn't be a certainty. It shouldn't be a lack of a punishment for some teams, but... It needs to be a possibility because the NFL needs to send a strong, clear message to these teams like the Titans. If they're practicing and they're not supposed to be, you better fine them. You better take away draft picks. You better suspend players. And maybe, just maybe, we'll see, make them forfeit a game because that's the only way they'll learn, right? They need to send a strong message. And the NFL has sent strong messages in the past, right? It wasn't really even proven that Tom Brady deflated footballs, although I can't stand Tom Brady, so I'm going to go with the narrative that he absolutely did. He's a cheater, right? He's a system quarterback, all that stuff. The NFL really didn't even have strong concrete evidence that Tom Brady 100% deflated footballs and that led to a competitive advantage. They suspended him anyway. They suspended him anyway. The NFL is no stranger to arbitrary punishment and hard arbitrary punishment. If there was ever a time for arbitrary punishment that's kind of created and engineered on the spot, this would be the time. You want to force the Titans to to follow the rules? Well, hey, how about you forfeit that game against the Pittsburgh Steelers and we take away your third-round pick next year? Yeah, go practice when your facility's shut down now. Do it again, we'll take away your second-round pick. Forfeit another game. And I like Mike Vrabel. I think he's a really good leader, and what I heard from him after this outbreak was announced, I thought was, was a really good sign. Right? And I thought some quotes from players and the messages coming from Tennessee, I thought, I thought it was all a great sign, and I loved it. But it only takes a few. It actually only takes one. Everybody needs to be on the same page. Forfeiting definitely needs to be a possibility and a weapon that the NFL can wield against these teams because they need to send a strong message. And it was reported today. Doesn't surprise me at all. Mike Florio reporting that league circles are are thinking that there's going to be a historic punishment for the Titans, especially because there's picture and video of them practicing away from the facility after positive tests. Oh, boy. I don't know if that historic punishment is going to be forfeiting draft picks, suspensions, because that's not necessarily historic. That's not unprecedented unless you take away every single draft pick. Forfeiting a game, that would be historic. That's not something I've seen in my lifetime. That would send a message. Not appropriate in every case, right? Say Cam Newton got sick at uh, at the, the front gate of the facility, right? The security guard had it. Well, that's not Cam's fault, right? The Patriots shouldn't have to forfeit for that reason. But the Titans, if it comes out that they went to a casino or, as it's been reported this week, that they practiced when their facility was closed, well, okay, What do we think about forfeiture? Because that's a weapon the league should be able to wield. That's a message they want to send. All right, that's the news of the day. Let's move on. Let's talk about the Wisconsin Badgers. Big Ten football is going to be back before you know it. And finally, I can get excited about college football because without the Big Ten, I'm not going to lie, it's kind of lost its luster for me. I haven't exactly been watching a lot. So it'll be great to have the Badgers back, the Big Ten back, and we'll get into that conversation coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. It's a slow news Wednesday, 
Um, and I'm a big newspaper guy. I like reading a newspaper a couple times a week in the morning when I have my coffee. So what I do is I find my favorite headline or the headline that jumped out for me so far this week. And it is about the Brewers. So we're dedicating our Slow News Wednesday to talk about David Stearns and company. Now, if you're new to the Wisco Sports Show, you got to understand a couple of things here. I have a very specific set of greatest hits that I like to go back to again and again and again. Craig Council is the greatest manager ever to manage the game of baseball. Paul Christ is the best coach to fit UW. Like there, You could not find a better coach in the entire country to fit UW-Madison than Paul Christ. So I'm a big Craig Council guy. I'm a big St. Paul guy. Brian Gutekunst is brilliant, and he got a UWL education. Go Eagles! That and uh, the Brewers are cheap. That would be the uh, that would probably be the fourth or fifth track on my greatest hits album. And, and look, they're a small market team, and I realize that. So before you text me and say, "Well, they're a small," they got to be. Yes, I understand that. Yes, they're smallest market in professional sports. I understand they can't spend that much money. I get it. I get it. But even by their standards, right now they are being cheap. Their 2019 payroll was 122 and a half million dollars, 122.5. Compare that to this year's payroll. million. Let's just say, for the sake of ease, we'll we'll round off to the nearest 10th, right? I know that's a couple hundred thousand dollars, but in our brains, right, as it relates to professional sports, let's just do, you know, a a tenth of a million. So 122.5 down to 39.2. Now, I did the math, and I triple-checked it because I'm not known for my math skills. That's a drop of $83.3 million. To put that into perspective, that's 18 and a half Eric Sogards. You signed for one year, four and a half million dollars. So the Brewers shed payroll worth 18 of Eric Sogard's contracts. Actually, eight and a half. So you get half a bat of Eric Sogard as well if you were to cash that in. The payroll difference between 2019 and 2020 of $83 million is greater than the total payroll of all but three MLB teams. Now, Granted, payroll took a dip in 2020 because it's a short season. It's a COVID season. But the Brewers' drop in payroll, which is $83.3 million, is greater than the payroll of every team except New York, L.A., Boston, what's new. At least the at least the Red Sox stink, right? At least they're paying a lot of money for a team that's no good. The thing is, 2019 wasn't even a huge outlier. $122.5 million. It's not like they tripled their normal payroll. Like, th- their average payroll since 2015, excluding 2020, because every pa- everybody's payroll is down, their average payroll since 2015 is $88 million. They dropped, they cut that in half. They went down to 39.2. By the way, all data is from SpotTrack.com, which is universally accepted. And that's those numbers are actually kind to the brewers based on some other sources that I looked, but I stuck with SpotTrack because that's normally what I do for uh, for our financial discussions, our, uh, our certified public accountant type conversations on the Wisco Sports Show. Going into 2019, the Brewers slashed payroll, right? That is pre-COVID, or I guess going into 2020. Slashed payroll. That is COVID, okay. They take a huge step back offensively. And when they slashed payroll from $122 million to $39 million, that wasn't to do with COVID. COVID hadn't hit yet. So they slashed payroll pre-COVID, mind you, and by result, the offense takes a huge step back. Huge step back. Okay. Granted, one year is only one year. Right, One year should not decide whether a general manager is any good or not. It shouldn't decide whether a team is cheap or not. It's only one year. But the way that I see it, and if you disagree, please, 608-796-2558. The way I see it, the Brewers have the pitching to contend. Right? Does anybody disagree? Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, I think Adrian Hauser is going to be a solid three in that rotation next year. Their bullpen has Josh Hader, Devin Williams, and Corey Knable, who hopefully comes back next year and better than ever. And I think Drew Rasmussen is next in line to be one of these great developing relievers. Oh, yeah, and by the way, 
Craig Council is such an amazing manager that whatever extra relievers you give him, he will put them in the perfect position to succeed as well. The Brewers have the pitching to contend. And isn't that what we've always wanted? Isn't that what we've always asked for? We need the pitching. I hear about it every damn day on the Bill Michaels show for the last 10 years. In fact, Bill Michaels is probably talking about it right now. He's probably sitting in his tiki bar with his dogs talking about how the Brewers need to need to make a trade for that ace. You need to go out and get an arm, right? This is what we've been talking about for 10 years. Ever since that run in 2011 when they actually forked out to get Josh Granke and Sean Markham and Randy Wolf and yeah, I know they went and got Kyle Loesch eventually too, but the Brewers have needed pitching. That's always what we've looked for, right? And they have it. They finally have the pitching, bullpen and starting pitching. And the way I see it, the Brewers spend a little money, make some trades, go get some bats, and go chase a chip. Like, go win a World Series. That's what I see right now. You got the manager. You got the pitching. You have the MVP and Christian Yelich, who we all expect to be better next year than he was this year. Go get the offense. Go get the bats. And let's go chase a chip next year, Brewers fans. Like, that's what I'm feeling, right? Awesome. Okay. So I open up the newspaper on Tuesday morning, take my nice morning walk to Quick Trip, buy a newspaper, stick it in my back pocket, walk back to my apartment, open up the sports page, and shout out Steve McGargy of the Associated Press, who is our superstar, our featured author on uh, this week's Slow News Wednesday. I'm thinking, hey, let's go chase a chip, right, Brewers? No. The headline, payroll uncertain in 2021. Damn it! Like, really? Look, I understand you have all the excuses in the world, right? You fixed up the spring training facility. That cost money. We operated in the red last year. Yeah, I get it. That cost money. Yo, we just paid Christian Yelich. Okay, great. Are we never going to spend money ever again because we signed one player? And now they have COVID. Now they have COVID to deal with. The headline, payroll uncertain in 2021. Brewers GM says virus fallout could impact a team's player budget. Which, by the way, I think we're all understanding, right? Like, payroll's going to drop, but it's already at $39 million. How much more are you going to drop? How many more Eric Sogards can you get off the roster before you can actually shed more payroll? A couple of quotes from the article. I think budgets are tighter everywhere right now for most businesses, David Stern says Monday. You know, over the last two years, we've run the two highest payrolls in the history of this organization. And I think it's uncertain at this point as we look forward whether our payroll next year could or would be at that same level. God, I love how he brings up that little gem. Well, you know, the last couple of years, our payroll's been higher than it ever has. Well, yeah, and why do you think we made the playoffs three years in a row, you dingbat? First of all, this isn't an anti-David Stearns thing. This isn't anti It's anti their just unwillingness to spend money at times. And that could be David Stearns. I don't think so. I think it's probably Atanasio. David Stearns is just the, mouth, the mouthpiece for ownership where the money comes from. So I'm not trying to go against David Stearns. I think he's a good GM. I think he got dealt a tough hand this year, uh, and it showed. The results showed in the offense. Uh, the article uh, continues. Stearns said this year's abbreviated schedule is making it more difficult to evaluate his roster as he tries to make offseason improvements. Here's the quote. Everything about this season, everything about this year has been messy. It's been unusual. It's been so inelegant. So wrestling through all of that and sort of tying a bow on top becomes a little bit more challenging than it would over the course of 162 games. Okay. 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 David Stearns. Newsflash. Just so you know, I get it. It's got to be tough to evaluate players over a 60-game window. Uh, But the players you evaluated last year over the course of 162 and deemed worthy of a contract, uh, I don't don't know if you're exactly even batting 200 there. Omar Narvaez was a bust. I don't have the list in front of me, so pardon me. Brock Holt was a bust. Ryan Healy was a bust, but the Brewers were so bad that he was your cleanup hitter in an elimination game. You brought in, who else did they bring in? Justin Smoke. Oh, just don't even get me started on Justin Smoke. Brought in Logan Morrison. Avi Garcia, is fi- I, he's fine. I'm not going to hate on Avi Garcia, right? Like, David, 
don't tell me that it's too difficult to evaluate players over a 60-game window when you failed to do so over the course of 162 games last year because you deemed these guys? This major league? Who the hell are these guys? Ragtag group of fellas that you brought in. You had a full season to evaluate them last year, and your team stunk. Payroll uncertain in 2021. Just get some bats and go chase a championship. You have the pitching, which is something that you've never been able to say. I'm 22 years old. I was born in 1998. Not in 2008, outside of CC Sabathia. Not in 2011, other than what? Zach Greinke and... I mean, did Randy Wolf start a playoff game in 2011? I've tried to eliminate those games from my mind. We've never, ever been able to celebrate the starting pitching on this team, let alone starting pitching that has been developed in the Brewers system, and they finally have it. They finally did it. They finally evaluated and developed and put into place these great arms. Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, I think Hauser's going to be that third dude. Right, that's three of your five starting arms that are homegrown and cheap and here for the next couple of years. You got your bullpen and Hayter and Williams and Knable will be coming back. And I love Freddie Peralta out of the pen, as we've talked about on the show multiple, multiple times. I think he makes more sense as a relief pitcher. And I think Drew Rasmussen is going to be even better next year. I think he's got the stuff. He needs experience. So David Stearns, I get you got COVID. I get you just paid Christian Yelich. But your payroll is $39 million. Your drop in payroll from two years ago to this season was more than all but three teams, New York, L.A., and Boston. Your difference from year-to-year payroll was greater than the total payroll of all but three MLB teams. Remember the Jesse Pinkman line from Breaking Bad at the end when, if you haven't seen the show, I I feel like I shouldn't have to say spoiler alert for Breaking Bad because it's been out so long. If you haven't watched it now, like I'm sorry, you're out of luck. But as Jesse and Walt kind of start turning against each other near the end, and Walt keeps getting the upper hand and keeps getting what he wants, and he ends up pulling all these awful things. And Jesse Pinkman at one point yells, he can't keep getting away with this. I do not want to open a newspaper next week and see another quote of David Stearns, the PR arm for cheap Mark Atanasio. I I don't want to see that payroll is uncertain. The pandemic has things up in the air. I I don't know the value of the Brewers. I could look it up, and it's it's worth more than my life 10 times over right now. Right, it, It's not like these baseball organizations and franchises are going to go under. They're a factory to print money, and next time I go to a Brewers game, I'm going to spend $70 on food and beer. So go out and get the bats. You have the pitching, and let's go chase a chip next year. Who's with me, huh? I don't want to see more any of this payroll uncertainty. Well, our payroll's been high. We've been operating in the red. We fixed up our spring training. Facility. Yeah, that's all great. How about let's go win a title? Because as a fan, that's what I ideally you know, aim for. I know sometimes on the Bill Michael show, we occasionally hear, let's enjoy the ride. I'm about ready to stop enjoying the ride because we have the pitching and we've never had pitching in my life like this before. Go get bats and let's win a World Series. I want to transition into the NBA Finals and to talking about the NBA because ideally here on the Wisco Sports Show, we'd be talking about the Bucks because the Bucks would be in the Finals. But that's not how it shook out, unfortunately, the Lakers in the heat. The Lakers won last night taking a 3-1 lead. They won 102-96. It was a rather boring game. I love the NBA. I, I absolutely adore the NBA. Take my Wisconsin teams out of the equation. No Packers, no Bucks, no Brewers, no Badgers. I, the NBA might be my favorite league. It might be the most entertaining league for me. There's an amazing mix of competition, drama, superstardom. The free agency period and, and the trade deadline, they're both insane and they're awesome and they're a mess. And, and I look forward to it every year. All that being said, Now that I have hopefully established how much I love the NBA, that being said, these NBA finals need to wrap it up already. Like, we we need to get this over with. This season has been going for an entire year now. 
and I it needs to die. It needs to end. I'm not even a huge LeBron fan. I like I would even call myself borderline an occasional LeBron hater. Yeah, I said it. I'm not even a huge LeBron fan, and I just want him to win and get finals MVP so we can put this thing to bed and move on. Because I want to watch baseball. I want to watch football. This NBA season has been going for an entire year, and I just want it to be done already. I don't want to. Wa- I don't want to watch basketball games anymore. Sorry, it's not due to the Lakers or the Heat. I'm just exhausted. I'm just tired. I want this season to end. And last night, I'm like, okay. I didn't even have the audio on for the first half of the game last night. Me and a friend were watching Bob's Burgers. We had the game on mute. I'm like, this does not interest me. But I'm I'm, I'm going to watch it because it's the finals. And because, you know, I probably should talk about it on my sports show because that's my job. But, like, I, I was not popping popcorn and sprinting to the couch last night. During the game, I saw the free throw conspiracy people come out. It's always a fun time when that happens. Um, and, and people were pointing out the discrepancy in free throws. Now, at the end of the game, it, it actually looked pretty close. If you look at the totals of the entire game, the free throw statistics are relatively close. But at halftime, the Heat had taken 12 free throws, and the Lakers had taken three. And people were pointing out, like, all oh, the NBA. The NBA wants to ref the Heat back into this thing. Now, at the end of the game, the Heat had taken 26. Lakers had taken 21, which I feel like is the perfect amount. Any more, Any free throws more than that is too much. And it looks close at the end, but at halftime, there was quite the discrepancy, and people were pointing that out. I don't think the NBA wants the Heat back in this series. And it has nothing to do with LeBron. I think fans, after last night, are like, oh, the NBA wants to ref the Heat back into this thing. I, I think it's against the NBA's best interest to ref the Heat back into this thing. Did you hear LeBron's must-win comments last night? Like, LeBron wants this thing to end so he can leave. Like, everybody wants this thing to end. This was LeBron talking about how it's a must-win game. Yeah, LeBron, it's a playoff game. Of course it's a must-win. But he went out of his way to talk about it and point out, like, yeah, we need to win and wrap this thing up. Um, <clears throat> when I woke up from my nap um, this morning after our team meeting, I just, I just felt that felt that vibe. I felt that, felt that pressure. Um, I felt like, for me personally, this was one of the biggest games of my career. And I um, just wanted to relay that message to my teammates, the type of zone I was in type of moment it was because I just know how great of a team that we're playing against and after the game three um win that, that confidence that they had that they still have even after tonight's loss they're just a, a gritty so damn well coached team but I feel like if we want to be a championship ball club if we really want to be a championship team then we we gotta have we gotta have that same grit and that same attitude so I'm just it's just my mindset kind of still in it obviously my my mind kind of working right now. So LeBron is saying, yeah, that's a must-win game, which in a playoff game kind of goes without saying. But even he's like, hey, we need to wrap this up. And did you see his interview after the game with Rachel Nichols? The man's that just won a playoff game, and LeBron's like, yeah, thank you very much, as he walks away. Like, he he was there for the absolute minimum amount of time. Like, these players want out, and I think fans want out as well. Honestly, the bubble games, the playing games, and the first round, I had more fun during that than right now. I had more fun in the first round of the postseason. I had more fun watching the Kings and the Suns battle to the death to try to make it into the postseason. I had more fun then than I'm having now. And maybe that's because the NBA just returned and, and, and it was novel in a way. And, and I do like quantity over quality, right? There's a certain March Madness aspect where it's like, I want as many games as possible rather than one or two games that are supposed to be good because I want to flip around and watch multiple games, have games on all day rather than putting all my eggs in one basket. Yeah, Duke-UNC is awesome, but if Duke blows him out and the game sucks, I have no other game to turn on. So I think there is a March Madness aspect that really drew me into that first round and into the play in bubble games. And I think that first round also gave the small markets hope 
There was excitement for the underdogs, the Suns and the Blazers, and the Magic even won the first game of the series against the Bucks. Like, like that was awesome. And and that was more like um, the March Madness, like I said, or more like the NFL, where every team feels like they have a chance to win it. When the Lakers inevitably win, and they will, I, I, we'll talk more about how this is really stupid. Like, I, the Lakers winning the finals is the, it, it will be the least enthusiastic you'll ever hear me on the radio. Like, I will be a, a negative amount of excited when the Lakers win the finals. I'm going to save that conversation for next week because I, I want the Lakers to win, and then I want to come in and, and just have the least enthusiastic show I've ever had. The Lakers won last night, 102-96. I'm not going to break it down. I hardly even care, and I love the NBA. Anthony Davis was great. LeBron was pretty good. Not his best, but didn't need his best. KCP was the X factor. Contavious Caldwell-Polk, he was hitting some big shots. I guess the Heat lost last night, and this is something I want to ask Justin Garcia, our guest coming up next from the Bucks Radio Network. And we'll talk Bucks, but we'll also talk finals. I guess I want to ask Justin, like, why didn't the Heat just use their culture last night? Their championship, tenacious, nasty culture where they value winning above everything else, unlike most other teams that don't value winning at all. Most, it, Contrary to popular belief, contrary to what you're told, most NBA teams don't actually like to win. The Heat are one of the few teams that actually value winning. I'm just surprised that the Heat didn't, like, use their culture last night to win. I thought that would have been a slam dunk, right? Heat need a win. Just use the culture that everybody keeps talking about. And, well, I got to remember, their culture isn't for everyone, right? I'm sure we, we've all heard about that, right? They're, the Heat culture isn't for everyone. It's only for guys like Duncan Robinson and, and Jay Crowder and, and role players who have no business performing like they did in the postseason, at least in an environment where there's home court advantage, which this year, of course, there was none. I'm just surprised the Heat didn't use their culture because it's so good. I, th- I thought that would have powered them to a win, right? Why didn't they just want it more? Why didn't they just try harder? Why didn't they just be more of a dog last night? It was weird. I, I thought their culture could have carried them to a win. Whatever. Whatever. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk to Justin Garcia, one of my good buddies and, and a friend of the show. If you're listening to the Wisco Sports Show for the first time this week on our new affiliate in Madison, welcome. Justin is an awesome friend of the show, and I can't wait to talk to him. We're going to talk a little bit about the Bucks, a little bit about Giannis, but mostly we're going to poke some fun at the Lakers and the Heat. Well, because the Heat beat the Bucks, and that's how I sleep at night is by ripping on Jimmy Butler and company. So we're going to do that coming up next. Take a quick break. More of the Wisco Sports Show with Justin Garcia and me, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Back in a moment. Uh, Justin, first of all, thanks for coming on. I, I know I reached out earlier today, and I'm, and I'm glad you could make this work. I love the NBA, as I said, but I've really kind of lost interest in the finals. Um, I think mostly because the season's been going for like a year, and I think we're all a little bit fatigued and we're ready for a, a true offseason. But secondly, I just, watching the Lakers does nothing for me. I, I've been on this Twitter crusade against Los Angeles, and it's a little bit unfair because they're going to earn this title, but they've done nothing but make bad decisions for the last 10 years. But they fall, you know, ass backwards into LeBron, and they get AD because he was emboldened enough to spurn his team and demand a trade, like, if the Bucks have a decade like the Lakers just had, I don't even think they're in Milwaukee anymore. Like, I, I'm, I guess I'd Sorry if I'm not jumping up and down for the Lakers and their fans, and I'm really not that happy that I have to watch them in the finals. Is that unfair? Well, they did have uh, a decade, really almost two decades, like the Lakers did, and they nearly left Milwaukee because of that. Um, You know, I guess the one thing the Lakers did that was right was stockpiling the assets and moving those for Anthony Davis because, as I saw a few people point out as well, look, if you go back to, uh, what, game two, the Nuggets when Davis hit the game-winning shot. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the reason right there why you go get a player of the caliber of Anthony Davis. That You think back to some of these teams through the years like Boston, to a lesser extent like the Lakers and other teams that just stockpile these assets of 
draft picks and young players, and they have a war chest of them. And you look at look at what this team has, and they can you know uh, they're going to have all these things that they can turn this into. It ultimately boils down to the number one thing you can turn those assets into is an existing superstar. Because with the draft picks and everything else, we just don't know. And you know what Anthony Davis is. So the Lakers did the right thing in saying, okay, all these young players we have, the draft picks that we have, who cares about the future? We're turning it into AD. You know, the Clippers, it didn't work out for as much, but that was the one right move that the Lakers made. And obviously getting LeBron James to knowing what that means for your franchise. In terms of the series, I, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat as you, where yeah. last year was really tough to watch the finals just because you were so close as a Bucks fan. This year, you obviously weren't as close, but there's something about it. And look, I don't know if it's just watching in an empty arena because that does certainly play a small role in it. Yes. I don't know if it's the matchup. And, and you know, I've seen people make the comparison to, what, 2004, I think it was, when the Pistons beat the Lakers in that this Miami Heat team is a lot like that 2004 Pistons team, but it's not. I mean, yeah. that Pistons team had Hall of Famers on it. And Chauncey Billups, we may not recognize him and Ben Wallace and even Rip Hamilton and Tayshawn Prince to the caliber they were, but they were there. This Miami Heat team has been a nice story, and Jimmy Butler, I think, has maybe outpunched his weight class at times, but it's nowhere near the talent that you had on that Pistons team that this is, I guess, what you would point to and say, who knows what the takeaways are because ultimately a team that was a five seed in the East didn't really have a true superstar and was basically a team that schemed well and found some advantages and took advantage of those, reached the finals. I mean, that definitely takes away from it. And I do wonder if we would have seen the Denver Nuggets somehow do this three rounds in a row and come back from down 3-1, if it would have been Miami-Denver in the finals, as unattractive as that is on paper, I do wonder if that would have provided more appeal just because it's so unique. And that it's two teams that, you know, I guess to a lesser extent Miami, but it's still two teams that we aren't accustomed to seeing there, at least in terms of five seed and the Denver Nuggets, that maybe that would have added a little more uh, intrigue to this series. But it's, it's definitely felt like it's been a long coronation process for the Lakers. And I think that's zapped a lot of, of the interest in the series. And, you know, it was already facing an uphill battle. And once you saw the injuries happen to Miami, that just basically eliminated any desire for any even casual fan to tune into this series. Yeah, I you actually set me up beautifully for my next question. I want to talk about the Heat because I at the time the Heat looked so much better than the Bucks. They looked so much better than anybody else in the East that I just kind of accepted like, man, maybe we didn't realize how good this Heat team really is. Maybe we slept on them, but they were a 5 seed. They didn't win over 50 games, and I know the season was a little bit shortened, but like I, I think the Heat benefited from not playing road games, even more than a typical five seed would, like specifically this Miami Heat team. Its strength lies in its role players. Jay Crowder, um, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, who's a rookie, right? And role players typically shrink on the road in the postseason. I remember Charles Barkley talking about that a couple of years ago, and it's always stuck with me, right? The superstars are givens. Road, away, doesn't matter. They're going to show up. What makes the difference for home court advantage is how the role players play. And the Heat's strength lies in its role players. Like, as we do a post-mortem here on the Eastern Conference playoffs, I think if there's a neutral court, it uniquely, uniquely is advantageous to this specific Miami Heat team. I think that's, I think that's accurate. I, I mean, I was wondering how long it would take for this to happen, for me to get sucked into the 
well, you know what? Maybe it's not time to panic as much as Bucks fans are. Yeah. In that, I think ultimately the way that the Bucks lost was a good thing. In that, it's it's more difficult to convince yourself that we're just you know we're on the cusp and. Maybe if we did this thing differently, if we run back the same group, we can do this. The way that the Heat beat you was probably needed to see, okay, there are, there are larger changes needed than we may have been willing to admit here. But I do keep going back and forth where it's the prisoner of the moment thing where, just as you said, when you watched what happened where the Heat just systematically picked apart the Bucks, and that series was not close, that it should have been a sweep. And we all kind of said, okay, uh, this team needs some major changes and we need to do X, Y, and Z. And, uh, hey, Miami is a lot better than we thought. As the playoffs progressed and really watching this series, uh, I mean, seeing some of the Miami players fall back down to earth and seeing Jay Crowder not hit 80% of his shots, you start to realize, okay, Miami was built very well for the bubble. They may not be as good. And this isn't meant to take a knock at Miami because, as we said, they thoroughly outplay the Bucks. Mm-hmm. They may not be as good as, as we all left that series thinking. And I start to go back and forth on it as well. I'm thinking, well, maybe this was just a weird year. And I do wonder, not just the Bucks, but how many teams in general are going to look at this and see Miami Heat reaching the finals and seeing them do what they did to a more talented Bucks team, to a more talented Boston Celtics team, especially if they would have made it close, and I guess they still can, but if they could make it close in the finals against the Lakers to a more talented Lakers team, and how many teams are going to look at that and say, okay, there is still a lot of uncertainty around the cap and our team finances moving forward. Maybe we just run it back, and this is kind of a gap year where we say, let's just try it again. We're hopefully playing on our home courts in the playoffs. This was an ideal scenario for Miami. I wonder, and again, not just for the Bucks, but for the league as a whole, I wonder how much wholesale change we're actually going to see and how many of these teams, whether it's convincing yourself that it was just the bubble experience or if it's, you know, quite frankly, a financial decision, how many of these teams are going to say, let's just try it again. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't work in the 2020-2021 season, that's where, whether it's blowing things up or making – uh, more than minor tinkerings, that's where we'll do these changes. And I-, I wish I had a better answer for you because as I watch the finals more, I go back and forth. Where I still lean towards, I think there are probably more changes that need to be made than just saying, look, if we could have played at home, we feel like we would have beaten Miami. Because if we're being honest, if there was home court advantage, do the Bucks go down two games to none? No. no. But I'm still not convinced Miami doesn't win that series in six games. So... I don't really have a good answer where I think at, at times maybe we'll see the Bucks run the group back, but then it just sticks with you in the back of your mind where, look, we saw what Miami did rather easily to them. It's not as easy as home court advantage, that there are some changes. Now, maybe those changes are more minor than we thought, but there are some changes that need to be made. And I think that really adds to a lot of intrigue for what do the Bucks and other teams do this fall in the offseason as we move into next season. Well, I think teams will take different approaches, right? The Bucks could say, well, we'll run it back, and the Clippers have already made a decision on their head coach. So I, th- I think different teams are viewing this past couple of months a little bit differently, and they're making decisions differently. Justin Garcia from the Bucks Radio Network, just a couple of minutes here on the Wisco Sports Show. Um, I've seen a lot of media members praise the Heat for, if nothing else, they put an amazing pitch together for potential free agents after this postseason run, right? That they've put something great on paper that they can build upon. I... I'm hesitant to buy into that way of thinking 
Because we we always expect these championship windows to stay open for much longer than they do, right? We we assume the Heat will be back and, and they'll get better and, and they'll push it even farther next year. We thought that about the Bucks last year. We certainly thought that about the Brewers in 2018. I think it's easy to maybe fall into that trap and think, well, this is just the beginning for the Heat. But I do do you necessarily think that's the case? Maybe this is it for the Miami Heat. Maybe this is the farthest that they get. And this is as good as they are the next couple of years. I, I could see it going either way. Uh, I think the Heat are one of the the more interesting teams for next year in that, as we just said, potential for a gap year for some of these teams. The Heat are one of those teams for next year where uh, Goran Dragic is a free agent, and you know uh, his injury in the finals uh, would have certainly helped his case on the free agent market. Not that there won't be interest, but he could have driven it up even more. But Goran Dragic could potentially get money elsewhere, especially when you think about the free agent market for point guards. It's basically him and Fred Van Vliet. So Goran Dragic could be gone. Jay Crowder's a free agent, and as we just said, I mean, Jay Crowder was an all-star against the Bucks. He hasn't been at that level, but he's still a valuable player throughout the playoffs. Maybe Jay Crowder's gone, where you see some of these pieces really picked off of the roster. And think back to, you know, pre-trade deadline. This was a much different team. I get that they had still come to Milwaukee and beat the Bucks in their home opener, and they were still a very good team. And, and Eric Spolster is one of the best, if not the best, coach in the league. But their big games, I mean, we've seen Andre Iguodala as a closer for them, but Jay Crowder, I mean, those were the big moves. Those guys weren't part of the team early on. So there could be some changes there where you, you stick with the group of Jimmy Butler and maybe it's Kendrick Nunn that takes over then if Goran Dragic is gone, and you look for guys like Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson to continue to go up a level, and maybe Miami is, again, going to be a five-seed next year, and it's the following year where they have all that cap space. And, look, I do agree that they can put on the best pitch of anyone, probably the Heat and the Warriors. If they have cap space, look out, because you're selling Miami, you're selling Pat Riley, and you're selling a winning culture. So they are going to lure somebody there. But, yeah, next year may be a down year for them of some sort. And there's a lot of questions in the East where – Boston, it feels like, has to do something, whether that's moving on and trying to move something uh, with Gordon Hayward, if you can get him to opt out, sign a long-term deal, and then move him, or moving Kemba Walker even. But Boston clearly lacks size. Something's going to happen there. We talked about Milwaukee and some of the changes we know they need to make. Philadelphia is another team where maybe they run it back and they just say, we're using the same personnel, but we have Doc Rivers. I still don't think that's necessarily going to work but that's it that has the assets to move. So it feels like there's going to be a lot of changes and moving parts in the East. And, oh, by the way, Brooklyn has two big superstars coming back. Eastern Conference could look a lot different next year. I did already see the Bucks are already the favorites to win the East yeah. next year uh, and third best title odds in all of the NBA, which I guess just speaks to, look, as long as they have this group intact and as long as they have home court advantage, they're still going to be a very good regular season team. It's just what are some of the minor tinkerings that are done? And then you know, what do you think about the prospects of Brooklyn? Do you think that's a team and, and what happens with Kevin Durant? Uh, if he can be 100%, that makes the East interesting. What are some of the other moves made by some of those teams we just mentioned, whether it's Boston or Philly, and what happens with Miami? So it seems like the East, way more than the West in years past, that's the conference where there is a lot of intrigue. And Victor Oladipo in Indiana, we didn't even mention, but mm-hmm. sounds like he's going to be gone. And where does he end up? Is it Miami? Is it somebody, somewhere else? Or is it out west? Uh, the East seems like the conference with all the moving parts this offseason. 
Yeah, I'm excited to see how it plays out. And and as you alluded to, I think a lot of general managers are going to view this past season differently, and they'll take different approaches, which should be really, really entertaining to watch. Justin, I appreciate your time. I hope that this finals doesn't go much longer because I want to break from basketball. I want to watch football. I want to watch baseball. But I always appreciate having you on to talk basketball anytime. Appreciate it again, man. Anytime. We'll see you later. <laughs> we'll see you, Justin. Thanks. We're late for a break, so i got to hustle out. Let's come back. We'll kind of put a, put a cap on the uh, basketball talk.